Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This podcast is brought to you by RateSetter. It's a big number, so big that many of us can hardly bear to contemplate it. How much money in total does each of us need to save for retirement? With a pension savings crisis looming and sweeping changes affecting the rules on how we both spend and deploy our retirement savings, it's becoming ever harder to avoid thinking about what our goals should be. We went to London's South Bank and asked a few people what they thought. Here's what they told us. Can I ask you how much you think you'll need to save in total for your retirement? Several hundred thousand, I don't know. Depends how nice a retirement you want. I would quite like a nice one, so lots. I know my pension right now is not going to even remotely cover that, so I've got a long way to go. But So how much do you think you'll need to save in total for your retirement? Um, well, in my pension pots, I think about a million pounds. I've been told to get a decent income each year. But that's just a guess, to be honest. Do you think you're on track to save that much? Uh, no, not at the moment, because I'm on maternity leave, <laughs> so I've stopped my pension contributions, but I'm going to get them going again when I get back, but um, yeah, it's not been a priority. So how much in total do you think you need to save for your retirement? Well, the annuities have changed, but I would say about uh, 200000 to 225000 but uh, if you go to the financial companies, they annuitise it completely differently, so... Uh, it's difficult, I think. What do you think, Malcolm? Well, I, I would have taken the amount of money I'd want per annum and I'd multiply that by ten. Welcome to our Financial Times Special Reports podcast on retirement saving. I'm Judith Evans, a reporter with the FT's Money section. And with me today are special guests Micah Curry, Associate Investment Director at Fidelity Personal Investing, and Robert Cochrane, pensions expert at Scottish Widows. We also have Henry Songeur, a London-based investment executive in his 20s, who will talk about his own pension-saving dilemmas. As you heard just then, UK workers know we need to save a lot for retirement, we're not sure how much it is, and we doubt we're on track. Surveys show the same. One by Aegon shows that half of UK workers have no idea how much they've saved into their pension scheme. Facing the problem head-on, where do we start in figuring out how much to save? For example, should we begin with the life we want to live once we finish working, or the amounts we feel able to put aside now? Micah, thank you for joining us. What are your thoughts on this? How should would-be pension savers start their number crunching? 
Well, if you're starting out in your career, it can be very hard to envision what you want your retirement to look like. So I think the best starting point is by looking how much you can put aside now. Now, many financial advisors will recommend that you save a percentage of your salary equivalent to half your age. So in Henry's case, he's 25 years old. That would be 12.5%. There are also some that say that you should increase your pension contributions by 1% every year that you are in the workforce. I believe there's no golden compass and you've got to find something that suits your circumstances. The important thing is that you start. And when you mention that 12.5%, Micah, is that including your employer contributions? Yes, this includes employer contributions. So that's assuming that your employer has a pension scheme in place. And another thing I'm wondering is whether or at what point a shift should take place into thinking about really the end point. Is there a decade of, of people's lives in which they should start to think, um, as it were, forwards to retirement rather than about the percentage of their current income. Rob, what's your view? Well, what we know is that the way, the way things stand just now, from age 55 you can access your benefits. So what we can see quite clearly in the research that we carry out at Scottish Widows is that people get more engaged as they get closer to that point in time. They then start thinking about exit strategies. But it, it, it's no, no longer the case where people get to a point and then stop working. We don't see that happening across the board now. What we see is an easing into retirement, so maybe a reduction in hours, maybe a reduction in days. So in fact, some people might be taking benefits and contributing at the same time because it's quite a tax-efficient way to take their benefits. So we see a lot more of that happening now. There's no no drop-dead point. Do you have a view on what sort of lump sum people should be aiming for? Is there any way to calculate that in terms of a person's income or a person's expectations? Or do you not really think in lump sum terms? Well, the way that so so we run this research report every year. We've run it for eleven years, and we work on a benchmark basis that people should save in twelve percent of their earnings between the ages of thirty and sixty-four. So that's one of the ways that we look at how much people should contribute in terms of what they want to get out of that. When we've asked and done the survey this year, the average figure that people have said is they want an income of twenty-three thousand pounds a year. So then you work back from that and say, well, what would you need as a fund? as a big pension lump sum, if you like, that's, that's there available to provide that level of income. Currently, that's £490,000. So we've got a target figure in there, which is just less than half a million pounds uh, for the average person to get the kind of income that they would like. Does that assume income drawdown or buying an annuity? So that assumes an income stream, which could be delivered by either of those. We would normally have defaulted to annuity, but the rates aren't that different. You can draw the same level out of a, out of a drawdown, yet it, it will probably run out of money over a period of time. So there's different ways that you can arrive at that income level. Another thing, to, of course, to remember is state pension. And state pension is the one thing which is not well understood by any any age group. Um, every single age bracket underestimates how much state pension should be and that can play a significant role in your overall income and retirement particularly if you're on lower earnings So that's one piece of good news um, amid the terrifying <laughs> figures <laughs> yeah. um, So let's turn to our guest Henry for a moment Can you tell us how you think people your age approach the question of pensions? You're 25 Some people that age are worried about saving for a deposit on a property. Others perhaps aren't thinking too much to the future. What's the impression you get from people you know? To be honest, I haven't really had the conversation with many of my friends or people my age. Uh, I think a lot of them, as you say, are looking to get into the property market. They're looking at uh, savings today at the moment. But in terms of 
pension schemes, nobody really speaks about it on a on a sort of day to day. I think it did come up uh, a few years back when they started asking you to pick the risk level of your pension scheme at your office. And at the time, I remember talking about it in the pub with some friends. But um, no, we don't really speak about it too much. I'm impressed that you've had any kind of conversation about pensions in the pub. Mm-hmm. Well done. <laughs> um, Rob, I wanted to ask you about this because you mentioned in this report that one way to save significantly more during your working life is to start earlier. Yeah. Would you urge people of Henry's age to get down to it right away? Yes, simply yes. Uh, so the auto-enrolment kicks in from age 22. So Henry's uh, employer is not of a sufficient size yet to have gone through that auto-enrolment staging, but they will go through it in the next couple of years. The earlier you start paying, the longer the money will work for you. So if you were to ask what was the golden decade to actually make your contributions, it would be in your 20s because that money will stay invested for longer and will grow in a tax-advantaged environment for much longer. The big challenge that we are seeing in coming through in the research quite strongly for people in the 18 to 21 sort of age bracket is they're coming out of university with big debts. And in fact, the highest proportion of debt per head was in that age bracket. What I wouldn't like to see happening is people then opting out of schemes because they've got that debt to service. So it's really important that, that we watch that with a close watching brief. So would you say that it's a good idea to save at least a small amount into a scheme, even if you are feeling weighed down by debt and all the rest of it? It's a really good idea to take up the opportunities that are available for you. So if you work for an employer who has a scheme in place and he will make those contributions on your behalf, but you are required to contribute alongside him, by foregoing that and coming out of the scheme, you're not going to get higher earnings. You're just going to be giving up free money. So it's really important that you go in at the scheme at a level that you can afford and certainly one where an employer is going to match your contribution. I think a lot of people in their 20s might reason that they've got student debts to contend with. They're probably not earning a lot, so it's really hard to save. The bad news is that it probably gets harder in your 30s and your 40s because your expenses mount. So these two decades are your 30s and your 40s are when you start considering starting a family, maybe buying a property. And what happens is expenses mount, so childcare, schooling, house renovations, but your income starts to plateau, so it only gets harder. And as you mentioned earlier, we should be raising the amount we contribute to our pensions over time, is that right? That's what we should be aiming for, ideally. The key thing, though, is to start as young as possible, because then, of course, you get the advantage of compound interest. So that snowball effect of earning interest on interest. The biggest thing that will have an impact on pension savings is what people view as a default basis. So if the default basis, what we all accept as a minimum norm, is 8%, which is where auto-enrolment will get you to, that's already a big improvement on where we were. In the last 10 years, scheme norm would have been 3 and 3, so it would have been about 6%. So if we moved to 8% and then Steve Webb had a vision of getting to 12%, our report works on the basis of 12%. And the great thing in, in, in the report and the findings of that report was that 56% of people that we surveyed were already at that 12% level. So it's not all doom and gloom. This, this year we've seen the highest incidence of people at that 12% contribution level. Fantastic. It's good to hear some good news. Um, and just to explain for any listeners who aren't familiar with auto-enrolment, that's a scheme under which employers are required to offer their employees a pension scheme. And we can really see that changing the pensions landscape. Coming to our guinea pig, Henry doesn't have a pension scheme because his work doesn't have one. But they will have to by roughly the middle of 2017. Should he set up a pension independently before that or should he just focus on putting lots of money into that scheme when it's up and running? 
I think it's probably simplest just to wait till that scheme's up and running. That'll be a really well-charged scheme. You know it's going to be falling within a certain charge cap of 0.75% annual management charge, so it's, got, it's not going to be expensive, and it's going to give you the opportunity to pay in as much as you like. What you can start at this point in time is an ISA, an individual savings account, and look towards the stocks and shares ISA. The good thing about an ISA is that you can access the money whenever you need it, but you get that investment growth. And anything you withdraw from the ISA is tax-free. Plus, any investments within the ISA can grow free of income tax or capital gains tax. So that's a really good starting point if you are young and you don't have a pension scheme in place. In our not very scientific straw poll, we spoke to several people who said that they would prefer to invest in buy-to-let property rather than a traditional pension scheme. What are your views on that? Should people consider this as another option or is a pension scheme really the way to go? Micah. I've always maintained that a house should be a place to live and not an investment. And the question you need to ask yourself is, do you really want to be in your golden years and dealing with all the administration that goes along with property? So tenants defaulting on rent, renovations, there are lots of questions to be asked. And I definitely don't think that buy-to-let is a substitute for pension. What do you think, Rob? Would you agree? It's certainly not a substitute. If you look at buy-to-let versus pension, within pension, uh, you're likely to get an employer contribution if you're employed. You won't get that into your buy-to-let. You'll get tax relief on the money going in. At this point in time, you get it at your higher rate, up to 40%. And the other thing about buy-to-let is all your eggs in one basket. You're only in one asset class, and you may only be in one property. So I think it can certainly be there alongside a pension, but it wouldn't replace a pension fund. Thanks very much, Rob. And as we do like to remind our readers, property markets don't always go up. Henry, I assume you don't have a property empire right now, but have you considered buy-to-let for the future as an investment? I have, actually. I thought that it would be quite a good idea because it's a steady stream of income. But actually, the other guests' points were very spot on, I think, there. And it's made me rethink about, about the whole issue. Fantastic. That's our good deed for the day. Well, thank you ever so much for that. The good news is that since the government removed the requirement that retirees buy an annuity with their pension savings, there are far more options in how you put that hard-earned cash to work when you finally reach retirement. You can find out more about that on ft.com slash reports slash future dash retirement and ft.com slash money. Many thanks to all of our guests, Micah Curry, Robert Cochran and Henry Songer. And to everyone listening, thank you and goodbye for now. The FT Money Show will be back as usual next week. In the meantime, there's just time to tell you about this week's issue. The pensions revolution has given millions of retirees more choice than ever over how they access their savings, but the Chancellor might not be stopping there. Tax incentives to encourage retirement savings are now in George Osborne's sights. At July's budget, he launched a consultation into radical change, including a new ISA-style pension. This week in FT Money, experts examine what this could mean for your pension and your children's in the future. Plus, what does the latest fallout in emerging markets mean for investors? And as usual, we have tips from our sister publication, The Investor's Chronicle, and all the latest director's deals. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.